What's our plan of attack, sir? Follow me. When Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith premiered in 2005, it not only marked the end of the prequel trilogy that began with 1999's The Phantom Menace, but it also completed the George Lucas-led era of live-action Star Wars storytelling. And before George Lucas sold Star Wars to the Walt Disney Company for $4 billion in the fall of 2012, he created one more series, an animated one, that would usher in a new era of Star Wars for a new generation. As Obi-Wan Kenobi served as a master to Anakin Skywalker, Lucas would become a mentor to animation director and lifelong Star Wars obsessive Dave Filoni during this animated project's run. And with Gail Curry, Catherine Winder, and an entire creative team employed under Lucasfilm Animation, they would fill in the time gap between the final two prequel movies and would finally tell the story of the fabled Clone War. Over the course of five years, Lucas and Filoni would create the most immersive and longest-running consecutive Star Wars story in Lucasfilm's history. In 2008, they kicked it off with the first animated Star Wars film, followed by a six-season television series running 60 hours and more than 120 episodes. And they named it The Clone Wars. The Clone Wars series is one of the most important moments in Star Wars history. It is not only the last Star Wars story for which Lucas would develop and write, but it would also symbolize a passing of the torch to a new team of Star Wars storytellers, beginning with Dave Filoni. And the characters and the story arcs introduced in The Clone Wars have continued long after the series was canceled in 2013. They became centerpieces in the animated series Star Wars Rebels, as well as adding story elements to the live-action show The Mandalorian and to films like Rogue One and Rise of Skywalker. And in 2019, Filoni and company delivered the surprise of a lifetime to fans begging for a proper ending to the Clone Wars series. A final season in 2020 that included a reunion with a long-lost clone trooper, the further adventures of Anakin Skywalker's orange-skinned Padawan, a battle with Darth Maul, the siege of Mandalore, and the rise of the Emperor through the destruction of the Jedi. This is a look at the creation of the animated series that would define a generation of Star Wars storytelling, using new technology, new characters, and a new direction for Lucasfilm. This is how the Clone Wars began. The artists who inspired it, the Star Wars-obsessed fans who worked on it and developed it, and how it reached audiences by way of the silver screen and the television screen in 2008. This is the answer to George Lucas's daily challenge to the people of Lucasfilm. Dare to be great. This is Star Wars at its best. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. fight in the wars he was a navigator on a spice freighter that's what your uncle told you he didn't hold with your father's ideals thought he should have stayed here and not gotten involved you fought in the clone wars yes i was once a jedi knight the same as your father i wish i'd known him he was the best star pilot in the galaxy and a cunning warrior i understand you've become quite a good pilot yourself and he was a good friend. It was that simple utterance from Luke that ignited the imaginations of Star Wars fanatics for more than two decades. 
What were these clone wars that the old Jedi Master mentioned to his new Padawan, his Jedi in training? Fans of the 1977 film had their own views on what actually happened during the Clone Wars, and some even put their imaginations to the test by writing stories in Star Wars-themed, fan-created magazines. And we ran with what little information we had. We knew Obi-Wan and Luke's father fought together as Jedi Knights. Were these mysterious clones their adversaries, or did they fight alongside them as well? How did Obi-Wan lose Anakin to the evil Darth Vader during this time, and why did he speak of the war with a deep regret? After the original trilogy ended in 1983 with Return of the Jedi, the stories of Star Wars continued through various forms of media. Authors, artists, comic creators, and game designers employ their talents to cover uncharted areas of the Star Wars universe, introducing new planets, new antagonists who wanted to rule the galaxy, and new heroes to stop them. In the early 1990s, science fiction author Timothy Zahn was tasked with concluding the Skywalker saga through a book series that began with Heir to the Empire and concluded with The Last Command. And while the events of Heir to the Empire took place shortly after the end of Return of the Jedi, Lucas gave the writers of the expanding universe strict direction. No stories could be told in the time frame before the original film trilogy. Lucas was secretly planning on writing that one himself, in the form of the prequel trilogy films released between 1999 and 2005, that would explain the tragic story of how Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader. The prequel trilogy would also show the events leading up to the Clone Wars and the war itself, and how Chancellor Palpatine would destroy the Republic from the inside using an army of clones, decimating the Jedi Order. But for Lucas, the story of the Clone Wars had been with him from the very beginning of Star Wars. In the foreword for the book The Art of the Clone Wars, he wrote that he had created the idea of a war as a sparse backstory to the 1977 film, calling it a galactic conflict that ultimately turned the Republic into an empire. Although he didn't intend to ever film the events of the Clone Wars for a Star Wars film, he realized that the war itself played a key role in Anakin Skywalker's conversion to Darth Vader. And in his backstory, all of the essential elements were there. The battle between a clone army and a droid army, and the clones' eventual betrayal of the Jedi, leading to their downfall. But Lucas kept this to himself until he was ready to tell the story through the prequels. The interesting thing about the Clone Wars is that in the normal course of the Skywalker saga, it's not told. It's skipped over. Um, we have a little bit of the beginning in Episode 2, and then we have a little bit of the end in Episode 3. But we never get into the details of what happens during the war. Obviously, during a war, there's lots and lots of stories. Uh, very exciting action, uh, drama, um, heartbreak, and comedy. This idea of doing a animated TV series um, was intriguing to me because it really did allow me to broaden the, the, the canvas of what Star Wars is about. While The Clone Wars premiered in 2008, the idea for an animated story detailing the events between Episode 2 and Episode 3 began in 2002. And between 2003 and 2005, in association with Lucasfilm, the Cartoon Network produced the first iteration, a precursor to the Clone Wars. Simply titled Clone Wars, and without the word the in the title, it became a three-season show consisting of five-minute episodes that picked up where Episode 2 concluded. And while this largely hand-drawn animated series is no longer considered canon by the Disney-led Lucasfilm, at the time, Lucas saw enough potential in those five-minute episodes to warrant a true multi-season show, with episodes running the length of a regular half-hour program. Lucas also saw the Clone Wars series as a way to push the current limits of animation with computer technology, which he had also done with his live-action films. 
But through animation, George Lucas found a vehicle that could cover the full scale of the Clone Wars he had imagined, spanning a multitude of planets and their unique inhabitants. And yet the focus would be on telling the stories of the characters introduced in the prequels, many of whom never had more than a few seconds of precious screen time. And at its heart, it would show Star Wars audiences the complicated relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin, Master and Apprentice, and the full story that led to their final duel on the Death Star in A New Hope. For Lucas, the idea to tell an animated story would be a practical one as well. Producing a television series using animation gave Lucas the chance to tell an in-depth, more personal story than a two-hour film would allow. And it would be much cheaper to produce multiple seasons using this medium, forgoing sets, expensive big-name actors, and realistic CGI that would be needed for a sci-fi feature. And as Lucas once shared in a 2008 New York Times interview, the chance to explore more of the world he created was something that excited him greatly. After all, as he proudly stated, Star Wars is a sandbox I love to play in. Tell me why you wanted to bring Star Wars to television. Well, um, I'd done uh, Indiana Jones for television. And uh, it's a great experimental cauldron because there's not that much at stake. You're not saying here's $100 million, it's all on your shoulders. In the next four months, if you screw up, it's all gone. It's a way to be able to put out a lot of product a lot of stories, and that's really why we started Clone Wars. I said, this is an interesting idea. We could do a lot of stuff in this. And so it really came out of the idea that there's a lot of stories there, and I'd like to tell those stories, but we'd never be able to put them in a theater because they're not, they're more interesting as a long form than they are as a short form. So that's why I, I experimented in television, both all of the stuff, which as I say, Part of it is the stories and be able to play with stories and do things that nobody would ever do. I mean, my whole life is, well, you can't do that. And Dave had to put up with the same things that everybody at ILM had to put up with. You know, Dennis Muran and, and those guys and uh, John Knoll, they all had to do, put up with me. And I would come in in the morning and I'd say, we're going to do this and this and this and this. And their jaws would drop and they go, and they say, oh, he's not really serious. I say, we can't do this. And I'd say, you can do it. Come on, we'll do it. And we did, I pushed them through it and they did it. And they came through. It was like, you know, uh, every, everything, a lot of the things we did have never been done before. And that scares everybody, because we don't know how to do this. I said, well, we'll figure it out. Uh, but, the, but, but the show, the thing, I said, we'll, we'll figure it out. So in 2004, while he worked on the final film in the prequel trilogy, he took his first steps toward making his television ambition a reality. He created his own animation company, Lucasfilm Animation, to produce the animated series, setting up studios in California and in Singapore. The California studio, based at Lucas's Big Rock Ranch in Marin County, was used for character and story development, while the Lucasfilm Animation Singapore studio worked with Taipei's CGCG company to produce each episode's computer-generated animation. Lucasfilm Animation would need a leader, so George promoted Gail Curry, who was then serving as vice president of Lucasfilm's special effects company, Industrial Light and Magic. Curry began her new position with the challenge of finding an executive producer for The Clone Wars, someone who would not only execute Lucas's vision for the project, but could work with two studios across two different continents. Before becoming the executive producer for The Clone Wars, Catherine Winder ran an independent consulting business. She began her career in animation in Japan, which she believes made her an asset for transcontinental production on animated shows. Winder also worked on HBO's Spawn series and MTV's cult hit Aeon Flux, and was also responsible for transforming Fox's Blue Sky Studio from an effects house into a CGI feature production company. Winder was also a crucial player in the overall style of The Clone Wars. 
As she stated in an interview with Vancouver-based website The Georgia Strait, her animation background and work in Asia helped her to incorporate elements of Japanese animation, known as anime, as well as Japanese comic art called manga, into a style that would complement Lucas's vision. She said her goal with The Clone Wars was to do something fantastic in a constrained way, and she credits the limitations of a budget-conscious television production with forcing her and her team to attack each challenge with an aggressive creativity and having to think outside the box to reach their desired results. However, one of Winder's first tasks was to find an executive director to head the Clone Wars creative team, someone who understood Star Wars at its essence who could tap into the sci-fi epic's uniqueness that connected it to an entire generation worldwide and tell stories for a new generation. Someone who could adapt it for the yet unexplored technological path Lucasfilm was about to traverse. Someone who could tell the stories that Lucas loved, ones of heroism and heart, of archetypes and universal themes, but in a groundbreaking medium. Winder reached out to friends within the industry for suggestions on possible candidates to head the Clone Wars. Chris Piernoski, owner of the animation studio that produced Nickelodeon's Avatar The Last Airbender, recommended a fellow Avatar director. Someone who talked about Star Wars all the time and thought about it deeply. Someone who created his own costume and dressed like the prequel's Jedi Master Plo Koon to attend the opening night premiere of 2005's Revenge of the Sith at a local theater with his friends. Someone named Dave Filoni. It is time to go. Go? Where are you going, sir? Outside, to destroy the enemy. I can withstand the pressure for a brief time. Put your helmets on. If you say so, sir... This is a difficult situation, but there remains a possibility we will survive. That's good enough for me. Come on, let's go. Dave Filoni was born in 1974, making him the perfect age to experience the original Star Wars films as a child. Through their scope and special effects, they were unlike anything people had ever seen on screen before. Almost 50 years later, Star Wars is so ingrained in our culture that we often forget how groundbreaking and how mind-melting they were, especially for kids. But Filoni was one of the ones Star Wars sucked into its orbit, and the characters and the planets they visited had a profound effect on him, not only feeding his imagination, but supporting the values his parents had instilled in him. I've grown up when you see these characters like Old Miss and you say, I shouldn't do that, you know, because Luke wouldn't do that. That's the wrong thing to do. And that's the point of telling the story in the first place, is to give you that kernel of inspiration. Uh, And now uh, I do feel the responsibility to pass that on. Reflecting on his connection with the Galactic franchise, Filoni once said, I've been dreaming about Star Wars since I was a kid, playing with the toys in the backyard with my brother. Working on a Star Wars movie is beyond anything I could have imagined. Storytelling was a key influence to Filoni's formative years. His parents were avid readers, with their interests spanning everything from history to design and the arts. In a column for StarWars.com, he reflected on a key moment in his life as his mother first read J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit to him as a child. He said, My mother read the entire volume to my brother and me. It was a great addition. The cover was leather, with inlaid gold writing, and pictures of trees with distant mountains. Inside, there were color plates painted by Tolkien himself. My favorite was, of course, the one of Smog the Dragon. Reading The Hobbit, and later on Lord of the Rings, filled me with the same type of wonder and inspiration that I got from watching Star Wars. I love these worlds and the characters in them, and I always wanted more. He attended the Edinburgh University of Pennsylvania and moved out to Los Angeles, California a year after graduation. While living in L.A., Filoni's first job was for Fox's King of the Hill. He also worked on the animated shows Timo Supremo, Kim Possible, and Mission Hill as a storyboard artist. In 2005, he was hired as a storyboard artist and character designer for one of the most beloved animated series of the decade, Nickelodeon's Avatar The Last Airbender. He also directed eight of the episodes, including Avatar's pilot. While working on Avatar, a friend asked him what it would take for him to leave his current job. 
His answer was a job at Lucasfilm. And two weeks later, he received a phone call from Catherine Winder, newly appointed executive producer at Lucasfilm Animation. She wanted to know if he would be interested in traveling to San Francisco to meet George Lucas about a job on the new Clone Wars animated series. There are times in life in which we set a clear path of tasks and goals in order to achieve what we dream. And then there are times where the thing for which we've been secretly dreaming and pursuing, but is entirely out of our league, shows up at our front door. Or in this case, calls us over the phone. Here is Filoni speaking with the Star Wars show's Andy Gutierrez about that phone conversation. I get this phone call, and I answer it, and it's this woman... Uh, Catherine Winder, and she's a producer for Lucasfilm Animation. And I'm thinking, like, yeah, there's no Lucasfilm Animation. What is this? And she's like, we're hiring, uh, we want to interview for supervising director of uh, Clone Wars TV series. I'm like, really? Didn't didn't you just do that? Lucasfilm Animation from over there, Cartoon Network. And she's like, well, this isn't 2D. This is going to be CG. And I'm like, yeah, I don't do CG. I'm a 2D guy. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I'm immediately thinking, like, this is the SpongeBob guys. This is the <laughs> guys right around the corner, they're and they're just you. messing with me because <laughs> they are very funny. It's what they do. They're funny all day, and I'm thinking, this is mean. They're really sick of Giancarlo and I like talking about Star Wars, so they're setting me up. Did you, know, you say no? So I'm on the phone, and and but I decided to go along with it, right? Because it's just my nature. And uh, she's like, well, I would like to meet you and talk with you about this. I'm like, oh, I would love to meet you, Catherine. Where would you like to meet? But I don't want to be taken in, you know, <laughs> so I'm trying to be, like, all strong about it. Right. And she, we arranged the time and stuff, and, I, and she's like, okay, well, I guess I'll see you there. And I said, okay. And I said, look, I have to ask you a question. And she's like, all right. I said, who is this really? And she's like, excuse me? I'm like, is, is this the guys around the corner? Because this is just... It's kind of mean. And she's like, is this Dave Lone? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, do you work on Airmen? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, well, you're the guy. And I'm thinking like, oh, wait a minute. This suddenly this sounds real. really real. And then my answer was, like, oh, you have no idea how the guy I am. I am so the guy. <laughs> I have a Plo Koon costume in my, in my garage. Like, let's do this now right I'm now. saying all the wrong things, like absolutely the wrong things. And later, Catherine told me she wanted to, like, cancel the interview right there, but she had already said it because she's like, you sound like a crazy person. Filoni agreed to fly out to meet with Winder and to speak to his hero, George Lucas. But he went with the idea that he had no chance of actually getting the job. After all, as he stated in the phone call to Winder, his area of expertise was in 2D animation, not computer animation. And although he had directed a handful of episodes for Avatar, he felt immensely underqualified to handle a show of this magnitude, especially one as lofty as someone like Lucas would devise. In his own eyes, he was simply the wrong guy for the job. But at the very least, he would come away from this experience with a story, one that he could share with other rabid Star Wars fans while waiting in line for the upcoming Revenge of the Sith film. He simply thought it would be great to be able to turn around to the person behind him in line at a movie theater in the very near future and to be able to say, hey, wait till you hear this. I met George Lucas. But while the invitation to meet Lucas came to him with little effort, getting to Skywalker Ranch was a completely different story. In a 2019 interview with Vanity Fair, Filoni described the mishaps and ordeals he believed added up to a series of signs telling him he was not meant for the job. His flight was over an hour late, as was the car that picked him up from the airport. As they were driving across the Richmond Bridge on their way to Skywalker Ranch, something fell off the bridge onto the car, breaking through the sunroof. Filoni recalled shouting to the driver, Just keep driving. I'm going to meet George Lucas, and nothing's going to stop me. Get him, R2! Good shot, buddy. You've been holding out on me. (laughs) 
And continuing with the extended interview from StarWars.com's The Star Wars Show, here's Dave Filoni on that life-changing meeting with George Lucas. So I go in and I meet him, and we talk for about 20 minutes. It's a 20-minute meeting. Um, I walked in his office, you know, in the main house, and I was like, you know, to do, to do, to do, just can looking I, at can everything. I sit? Like, did you touch anything? It was amazing. I didn't really. No, I mean, I just, <laughs> I kind of just zenned myself over to the table where we sat down and talked, and he looked at my portfolio, and he kind of went through it like this, you know. We looked at things briefly, mm-hmm. and I thought, yeah, 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 this is what I thought. Like, this guy's not. You're not going to impress him with your art. Come on. And uh, then he shut it, and he goes, well. This is what a Jedi Knight is. And he just starts talking to me about Star Wars and Jedi and stuff. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And I remember thinking, like, yeah, I totally got what he's saying exactly from the movies. And it was fun because some of it was, like, stuff I'd debated with friends of mine about how the Force worked and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So. And it's just, like, confirming so everything I was right. <laughs> this is cool. But I was very quiet, and I didn't say a lot. And, you know, we just spoke briefly for, like, kind of what the Clone Wars was about and Jedi and how the Force worked, and uh, it was, you know, fun listening to him. He's very nice, and then just remembering my manners when the time was over, uh, I got up and I thought, well, I'm never gonna see this guy again. So I shook his hand. I said, it was very nice to meet you, and he says, very nice to meet you. And I went back to the green room, and I felt this great sense of relief because I was like, all right, well, I don't have to like, that's over, and that was cool. And you know what? He was a really nice guy, which is great he because is I really nice. like his work, yeah. and you never know when you meet people. So I thought it's great. He was really nice, and that was over. And then the door opens, and they Catherine sticks her head in and says, "He likes you. You got the job." And I was like, "What?" And then she shut the door, and I remember my first thought was like, "Oh my gosh, these people have no idea what they're doing." <laughs> like I thought, like you're gonna hire me for this job? You're crazy. Well, then it looks like our problems are solved. Fresh troops, new supplies, and perhaps they brought my new Padawan with them. You really think it's a good idea to bring a Padawan learner into all this? I spoke to Master Yoda about it. You should put in a request for one. You'd make a good teacher. <laughs> no thanks. Anakin, teaching is a privilege. And it's part of a Jedi's responsibility to help train the next generation. Lucasfilm Animation was a completely new division. And no one really knew what we were up to behind the main house. Uh, that that was a constant theme in the early days. People not really understanding what Clone Wars was, not ever, never hearing of a Lucasfilm animation. As he does with any project he produces, Lucas approached the Clone Wars with an aggressive ambition. During one of their earliest Clone Wars discussion meetings, Lucas told Filoni he had intended on making at least 100 episodes for the series. With Dave Filoni on board as executive director for The Clone Wars, the creative team behind the series began to take shape. Catherine Winder hired Henry Gilroy as the show's head writer. Gilroy had previously worked on notable shows like Justice League Unlimited and Batman the Animated Series, as well as on films like Disney's Lilo and Stitch. And his knowledge of storytelling within the Star Wars universe was vast, as he had written for a number of the Star Wars comic books produced under the Dark Horse imprint, making him a perfect candidate to lead writing duties for the Clone Wars. Working at the fledgling Lucasfilm Animation Studio was certainly challenging for Gilroy and the creative team. In addition to writing and forming the Clone Wars, they were presented with daily administrative challenges, like setting up email and workflow processes and office structures, and figuring out how an upstart animation studio, one that was attempting to change the face of animated storytelling, would run. But the job certainly had so much to offer. Lucas told Gilroy and Filoni in the early meetings that he was going to teach them how to craft Star Wars stories, and as diehard fans, there was no greater opportunity than to learn from the one who created the Star Wars universe. And writing for the show was an immense task. 
On a typical hand-drawn television series, making changes once animation had begun meant scrapping hours and hours of time spent penciling an animated sequence, inking the work, painting the acetate cells that would be photographed one by one in order to construct a shot or a scene. It was impractical and costly, so the writers would finalize a script and would hand it off to the animation and voiceover teams, and they would then focus on writing the next episode. But writing for The Clone Wars was closer to the writing process for an animated feature, in which the final draft of a story was really the beginning, as Lucas would then offer a series of tweaks, add-ins, and changes. And since it was done in CGI, it was easier to shift the elements like camera angles and dialogue in the editing room using software programs. Gilroy described the writing process for The Clone Wars as the hardest project he's ever worked on, having to do triple the work required for a traditional TV episode, with more drafts and rewrites, but with the same standard TV production deadlines. For the first year, Gilroy was the sole writer and would put in 12 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week to make the show happen, literally working until his body gave out at times. But for him, it was a pleasure and an honor simply because it was Star Wars. Acknowledging the hardships endured and the sacrifices made by the creative team in order to create the show, Gilroy said, I think that's one magical part of starting up a studio, being the first project created from it, that makes it special is that people really bond and come to feel like a family. It was like we were all in the trenches, fighting the Clone Wars, all in it together to build something that we knew was going to be really special. You know, I thought it... In some ways, for George, it was the realization of what he always wanted the ranch to be, a, a place where people could make movies um, right there on the, on the property. And we were doing that. Um, we were an extension of his Star Wars brain. As Filoni and Gilroy began to conceptualize the characters of the Clone Wars, they received a welcome surprise from Lucas in the form of the familiar faces who would not only be returning, but would be at the center of the story. Working early on with Henry Gilroy, we were trying to figure out what the character makeup of the show was going to be and how we could produce a TV series based on the type of the Clone Wars, because the Clone Wars is so vast, would require literally thousands of clones battling thousands of battle droids. And so we were shooting around more of, uh, you know, an original trilogy idea of a crew, two Jedi that worked with the smugglers in the black market. And we were coming up with the character makeup. But when we took this idea into George, he looked at it and he's like, mm-hmm. So Anakin Skywalker is going to be doing this, and Obi-Wan Kenobi is going to be doing this. And we just never presumed that we would be working with those characters. You know, because my attitude is, who am I to write Anakin Skywalker? That's a hugely important character. But George was like, you know, we're going to teach you all about this. And he did. So we wound up with the show we did under his direction. And as Lucas told a Los Angeles Times reporter in May of 2008, he said, Obviously, during a war, there are lots and lots of stories. There's action, there's drama, there's heartbreak, and sometimes there's comedy. Anakin was a part of the Clone Wars, so it makes certain sense to tell these stories, because they ultimately do affect him. Kidnapped, Jabba the Hutt's son has been. You want me to rescue Jabba's son? Anakin... We'll need the Hutt's allegiance to give us an advantage over Dooku. Hmm. Negotiate the treaty with Jabba. Obi-Wan will. Find the renegades that hold Jabba's son. Your mission will be Skywalker. Killian Plunkett was a friend of Henry Gilroy, and had worked with him on some of the Star Wars comics at Dark Horse. And as a creative team sought to develop the style and tone of the series, Gilroy showed some of Plunkett's work to Dave Filoni and Catherine Winder. Plunkett had hoped that his friend's recommendation would grant him a little freelance work on the series in the future. But Filoni was so impressed with his art that he asked Plunkett to offer his take on what the Clone Wars characters could look like in a 3D computer-generated universe, using Mace Windu and Palpatine as examples for conceptual design. 
Plunkett incorporated elements that were quintessentially Star Wars, pulling from two of the original film's biggest influences, artists Joe Johnson and Ralph McQuarrie, as well as from some of the prequel-era designers like Doug Chang. He used the character design of the 2003 hand-drawn Clone Wars cartoon as a starting point, a model to figure out what made the character designs work, and how to make highly stylized Star Wars characters for a three-dimensional medium. George had a good idea of what he wanted this thing to be, but the rest of us honestly had no clue, because it was so ambitious and it was such a crazy thing to attempt. And Plunkett became one of the main artistic designers on the show, and helped to shape the look of the Clone Wars. Here is Killian explaining how he found the right balance for a show using an established character like Yoda. One of the things that's interesting on the series is that characters that you don't realize have been pushed to the extent that they have been come up all the time, and Yoda is one of them. If you put the Clone Wars version of Yoda right beside the digital Yoda from the prequels, they are very, very different. The Clone Wars version of Yoda has a huge head. His hands are much bigger. His feet are much bigger. His eyes are much bigger. Everything has been sort of pushed and, and stylized. And uh, Yoda was really helpful because you could see what happened to Yoda as he made the transition to the 3D version for Clone Wars. So we could use that to sort of base how we were going to push or stylize other characters that were either rubber masks at some point or completely digital. But what would the Clone Wars look like? In the live-action films of the prequels, the goal was to make all of the characters as lifelike as possible, regardless of whether they were actors, puppets, or wholly CGI creations. In other words, what each character would look like if it was standing next to you at this very moment. The believability of what was on screen was determined by its photorealism. But Lucas wanted a stylistic division between the films and the animated series. At a press event in 2008, he explained how each medium had its own stylistic needs. Concerning the difference, he said, Photorealistic is what the movies are. Animation is an art. Well, we developed photorealistic CG a long time ago, you know, uh, basically with Jurassic Park. We were able to develop it so it looked photoreal. We used photoreal in all kinds of stuff. We can also do, we also have since uh, really uh, uh, Phantom Menace, we have photoreal actors who look exactly like the real actors. Uh, and we use them interchangeably, and most people don't know the difference. They don't act. They usually do stunts uh, because the, you know, it's very hard to get computer animation to act. It doesn't know how. Uh, so you need very talented actors to do the voices. You need very talented actors to be the animators. Uh, it's much easier just to use an actor. Uh, I don't believe the job of CG animation is to create animation that looks realistic because that's what live-action movies are for. The charm of an animated film is the fact that it's done in a particular style, an artistic style. And Filoni felt the same way. Early on in the process, he stressed to the creative team how each frame should look like a painting, similar to one Star Wars designer Ralph McQuarrie did as he was conceptualizing the planets and characters of the 1977 film. And that there should be a spontaneity, and as he termed it, a painterliness, in which photorealism wasn't the goal. Instead, it was the art. Images that played with light and shadow and were exaggerated and purposefully distorted to heighten the emotion of the story. It was more important to capture the essence of Star Wars than to capture the exact representation of a character, creature, or planet. Well, we were able to stylize things more. You know, we were able to push the, the visual look of things. You know, you see it most notably in the human characters' faces, their proportions, but also there's a, more of a painterly aesthetic. We didn't have to, to live by photorealistic rules, and I think that really helped us. I think that, you know, that's where it had been going for a long time, but I think that a lot of the artists that work in there, I mean, look at ILM, they have perfected that when you see some of the work they've done on Pirates and even the, the prequel trilogy. Now I think you're seeing a bunch of artists saying, let's just use this tool, this digital paintbrush in a different way. Let's forget photorealism, throw that out and do exaggerations and screw with proportions and make it look like a moving painting. And I think that that's the frontier of you know, digital technology now is, is beyond photorealism. 
In addition to incorporating the Japanese artistic styles found in the culture's animation and graphic novels, the look of the Clone Wars was inspired by two crucial sources. In order to capture a painterly quality, Filoni looked to none other than the painter who helped to create the world of the original trilogy, Ralph McQuarrie. And to tie it into the tradition of Star Wars, I took the Ralph McQuarrie paintings. If you look at the, the concept paintings for how George sold the 1977 A New Hope, Ralph McQuarrie, this illustrator artist, did a whole bunch of paintings. So I wanted the environments to kind of reflect those classic-looking paintings. Surprisingly, The Clone Wars' other main influence was a 1960s British science fiction television series titled Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds was created by Jerry and Sylvia Anderson and used a form of electronic marionette puppetry known as Super Marionation. In this case, we went retro into the 50s and 60s and used the style of Jerry Anderson who did a, a TV series in that, during that period called Thunderbirds. They were marionettes. And so you'll notice on this thing, we have, you see the paint on the characters. They've been painted. Their painted characters are not, and they're very, very, very stylized. And I think that's what animation does best. It's the thing that, that it can do that live action can't do. The Thunderbirds puppeteers' mastery of their craft, blended with artful lighting and scene setups, created the illusion of life within a heavily stylized world. And this made Thunderbirds the perfect model for what Lucas and company could achieve with a television series, but within a computer-generated landscape. Five, four, three, two, one. Thunderbirds are go. During this time, the designers behind the Clone Wars attempted to create the beginnings of the digital universe the characters would eventually inhabit. Justin Leach, model and rigging supervisor, had an idea. If Dave Filoni wanted the look of the Clone Wars to resemble a Ralph McQuarrie painting, why not try to create a CG model using an actual McQuarrie Star Wars landscape painting as a guide? Leach chose Macquarie's take on Jabba's palace on Tatooine from Return of the Jedi and created a test reel of it, complete with camera pans to simulate how the world of Star Wars would be used within the show. Another key breakthrough that came out of Filoni's insistence on a painterly aesthetic proved that sometimes less is more. Often, computer animation programs make elements in the virtual world more realistic through specular highlights. Specular highlights are bright spots on shinier objects when an area is illuminated. It's essentially the way light responds and lands on items in the real world. For instance, the reflection of a lamp on R2-D2's dome, or the glow from Anakin's lightsaber against C-3PO's golden arm. They act as visual cues in a three-dimensional scene and ground the moving image in reality. And many computer programs have the ability to turn on automatic specular highlights for shiny areas. It's a time saver and one of the benefits of computer animation. The problem was, for some reason, the painted look that the designers were using did not seem to blend well with the specular highlights instituted in their computer animation software. CG supervisor Andrew Harris found that by removing the automatic specular highlights, the show gained an artistic quality, letting the artist's digital, textured brushstrokes appear throughout the designs. The scenes would be lit as any other show would be, but simply removing a simple standard of modern computer animation gave the show a fresh design and captured the look that would define the series. As his time working on Revenge of the Sith came to a close, Darren Marshall figured his job as character sculptor and designer at Lucasfilm was about to end as well. After all, if Lucasfilm was shifting its focus to the Clone Wars series, television shows rarely, if ever, employed sculptors. But Filoni knew that Marshall could be the key to translating the 2D concept sketches and character ideas into a 3D medium, like computer animation. 
Marshall's maquettes, or clay figural models, helped Floney and artists like Plunkett and Alex Wu to create heavily stylized representations of the heroes, villains, droids, and creatures that would inhabit the planets of the Clone Wars universe. Using these 3D maquettes, they strove for artistic representations of the characters over photorealism, and were able to use the elements like angles, light, and shadow to give the show a look and a feel that had never been seen on a mainstream television series. And once Lucas was able to see these maquettes in person, and accompanying photos taken of them that demonstrated how light and shadow would play off the 3D models, he finally gave Filoni his approval as to how the show would look. The look of the characters of the Clone Wars was finally coming together. I remember we were going into our first big review of what the character design was going to look like with George, and that was basically the drawings of the character design sense for the Clone Wars and then uh, Darren Marshall's maquettes. And I'll never forget in that first review, you know, um, George said, this is good, referring to the drawings. They looked at Darren Marshall's maquette of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he said, but this is great. And Catherine Winder captured the essence of the goal of the entire team. We produce these each like mini-movies. So when you go to watch them, you can sit down with your family and feel like you're going to see an event each week. We need to tell stories that felt unique and special each week and that made people believe that they were having a unique experience every time they tuned in. Within Lucas's brilliance lies his ability to see a larger picture and the eventual future results of a decision made in the present. When he was making the original trilogy, he had the foresight to reduce his studio fee in order to gain the rights to producing the sequel films, and he was also able to secure licensing rights for toys, clothes, and really anything Star Wars related. And those decisions amounted to billions of dollars in profits and gave him the means to fund an animation studio and a project like the Clone Wars. And so he demonstrated that brilliant foresight when it came to pitching this new show to television studios in 2007. Remember, this was years before Disney purchased Lucasfilm, and Lucasfilm did not own a television channel on which to air the shows it created. And at the time, Lucas knew the Clone Wars would be a hard sell to any studio. Some Star Wars fans were disappointed by the prequel film trilogy and lost interest in the franchise after it ended in 2005. In addition, the show was unlike anything else that was on primetime television then, leaving many executives unsure what to do with it. As Lucas succinctly put it, it's not SpongeBob SquarePants, but at the same time, it's not Family Guy. And while the series' uniqueness gave it the opportunity to stand apart from other animated programs, a groundbreaking show like this could cause unease among executives, putting Lucas's control over the direction of the series in jeopardy. He would risk potentially giving up creative control, which could sacrifice his direction and leadership for the show. And for Lucas, his art and progress has revolved around the fact that he did things his way, for better or for worse. So he came up with a plan to ensure he would produce the Clone Wars the way he envisioned it, the way he wanted it to appear on screens across the country and around the world. He decided to produce a full season of the show first, completing all 26 episodes before shopping it to the different television studios. This would ensure that the fullness of his vision would remain intact. After all, it's easier to present something as a finished product and have it be accepted or rejected as a whole, rather than to present an idea or a partially constructed one that would invite too many opinions on what to do with it. Many television networks passed on airing The Clone Wars, including Fox Broadcasting, whose corporate sibling, 20th Century Fox, produced both trilogies of the Star Wars films. But Time Warner, parent company of Warner Brothers and the Cartoon Network, saw the series as a promising start to a potential long-term relationship with Lucasfilm. 
The Cartoon Network had previously aired the hand-drawn Clone Wars animated shorts between 2003 and 2005, and would be a fitting home for the new CG Clone Wars program. Lucas was also developing a live-action series for television at the time, a project then called Star Wars Underworld. And Time Warner expressed interest in possibly airing it on one of its cable channels, like TNT or HBO. For Warner Brothers, another draw for a partnership with Lucasfilm was the commitment of a Clone Wars film. An animated feature film would cost considerably less to produce, and it would play in theaters worldwide months before the television series aired, making it the perfect way to advertise leading up to the show's premiere. And for Lucas, an animated feature on the big screen made sense. After all, what better way to introduce a new Star Wars story, new technology, and a new key character? We decided to do a little animated show for um, uh, Cartoon Network with a uh, very talented animator, uh, Gindi. And that then turned into, gee, this is so good, let's make it into a, a, a bigger uh, animated TV series that's actually a half an hour on a regular show, and I can use uh, uh, CG animation, which we developed, and some other new technology and techniques to really make a great TV show. Then I saw it on the big screen as the first images came across, and I said, this is fantastic. This is too good to be a TV show. This should be a feature film. And so I said, why don't we make a feature film about Ahsoka who's the new character and introducer. And so that's how it ended up doing an animated film. It was really out of the fact that we uh, wanted, I wanted to do something a little bit more lighthearted, that I could deal with other characters and also deal with the personal relationship, the growth between Anakin and Obi-Wan. Uh, but it turned into a, an animated feature film. My apologies, young one. It's time for a proper introduction. I'm the new Padawan learner. I'm Ahsoka Tano. I am Obi-Wan Kenobi, your new master. I'm at your service, Master Kenobi, but I'm afraid I've actually been assigned to Master Skywalker. What? No, 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 no. There must be some mistake. He's the one who wanted the Padawan. No. Master Yoda was very specific. I'm assigned to Anakin Skywalker, and he is to supervise my Jedi training. But that doesn't make any sense. We'll have to sort this out later. It won't be long before those droids figure out a way around our cannons. I'll check on Rex in the lookout post. You'd better take her with you. And with that, in the summer of 2008, the Clone Wars had officially begun. What's our plan of attack, sir? Follow me. of this universe and and I hope to be accepted by the fans I mean I know I'm new but I, I hope they enjoy Ahsoka and and look forward to her future uh, trials and tribulations 